May all grace, mercy, and peace come to each and every one of you today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, when I was growing up, I really never knew what the Beatitudes were, in all seriousness. I mean, I heard the word, and just never really comprehended what it was. You know, I always equated beatitude with beatitude. I thought, I got this. I'm an out-of-control teenager. Of course I can beatitude. Until the nuns and the priests and my family told me otherwise <laughs> as I was growing up. And the reason I, I didn't understand what beatitudes were was because I didn't have it here. I mean, I, on the surface, I understand what Jesus was saying, is saying in them. But I didn't understand it. It wasn't until later in life when I became rooted in the faith that I truly understood what Jesus was talking about and the Beatitudes. Essentially, Beatitudes means to be super blessed. I mean, think about that. It sounds like a superpower, right? You're super blessed. Blessed are you, as Jesus would say. And now, honestly, when I hear the word Beatitude, I feel like I'm transported to that scene where Jesus is on the side of the mountain and he's, he's calling his disciples and he's selecting his 12 apostles. And then he walks down onto from a, a mountainside to a, a level place where all these people are gathered. And I picture the setting as, as he's on the mountainside, it's lush with, with trees and everything, but as he comes down, I, maybe the bottom is, is a little bit arid, like desert. And, and you got some wilting you know, shrubs and, and tumbleweeds and whatnot, and there is all these people down there. But I also imagine that as Jesus comes walking by, things start perking up. Things start flourishing and standing tall and no longer wilted. And you kind of get a picture of that because that's what happens to the people as Jesus comes down off this mountain onto a level place and he feels the power going out from him and it's streaming over the people and demons are fleeing and, and people are being healed from things. And I imagine they're going from stooped over to standing tall and smiling. Why? They're super blessed. They're blessed just by being in the presence of Christ. And then Jesus speaks, and he lifts up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are the hungry, and blessed are you who weep, and blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. And as Jesus speaks these blessings, I imagine that people are coming to life as if water had come into them and flourished them and flushed everything out and, and made them vibrant again. Because, honestly, that's what blessings do. They lift up. They cause growth. They give life. Before Jesus gives the Beatitudes, notice what he does. He lifts up his eyes upon them. He sees them as they are. And their state. He doesn't turn their eyes away from him. He doesn't spurn them. He doesn't revile them. He lifts up his head. He lifts up his eyes as if he is exalting them. And he gives the blessings upon them. In fairness, though, Jesus also tells them that blessedness only comes from God. If we think that we're blessed on our own merits, boy, we are sorely mistaken. Blessings don't come upon the works of man, only on the works of God. And Jesus reminds us of that. Woe to the rich. Woe to the full. Woe to those who laugh. Woe when people speak well of you. 
Now, is Jesus saying that it's wrong to have money? Is Jesus saying that it's wrong to have food in our stomachs or clothes on our back or roof over our head or, or a good reputation? No. He's certainly saying, woe to you when you misplace your trust in those things. Woe to you when you hoard all your money and you think that you've earned it all on your, on your own and you don't bless other people with those things. Woe to you when you laugh and scorn the people who are, are downtrodden and marginalized in society. Woe to you when you're a glutton and you're not sharing your food with the hungry. Woe to you when you're vain and you're conceited. That's trust that's misplaced. These are people who are contrary to God, to Christ. And Jesus then goes on to say what? To love your enemies. Do good, but don't expect anything in return. Do these things as I have shown you. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself would not do or has not done. Then blessed you are as you do these things with no expectation of something in return because your reward is in heaven. And this is what Jesus expects of us as his people. These blessings entail trust and a solid faith in God, not in ourselves. And this is something that, that mankind, that human beings have struggled with time and time again and continue to struggle with today. Go back to the days of the prophet Jeremiah. And it's a very turbulent time in the history of Israel. Judah is coming to an end. Jerusalem's overrun ransacked by the Babylonians, gone into captivity. King Josiah dies. The God's people loses their independence. And a time of great uncertainty ensues. 400 years of silence. 400 years of captivity. 400 years of a spiritual desert, so to speak. And this is a time when God's people are going to need to lean on their faith and their trust in their Lord. And so God speaks through Jeremiah and gives a very vivid picture to us today of what a person who doesn't trust in the Lord will be like. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness in an uninhabited land. Reminds me of Israel spending 40 years in the desert as they failed to make their way into Canaan because they didn't trust in the Lord. And now, 400 years in the spiritual desert, and their hope and their faith is going to be tested. I think about the desert. It's a very rugged place, dry, arid, un at times unforgiving. But there are some things that actually survive in the desert. I was growing up, I lived for a spell of time when my dad was stationed in, in uh, Arizona. We lived out in that direction, and we had these wonderful tall trees called the Joshua Tree. In fact, in California, there's a whole park named after it, Joshua Tree National Park. If you know anything about the Joshua Tree, its roots can go down as, as deep as 36 feet and grow as tall as 49 feet tall. And if it survives the harshness of the desert, it could live for hundreds to thousands of years. It got its name, the Joshua tree, because it invokes image of Joshua holding his hands out as God commanded him to 
and his people to lead into the charge and the downfall of I. But you only thrive in the desert if you're connected with water. And being connected with God is like being connected to an endless supply of a living water. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought. Jeremiah and Jesus both speak about trusting in God over trusting in man. But there's something else they have in common. I want you to notice the settings here. Neither one of them say that a person being blessed is going to be free of troubles or removed from the setting that they're in. Rather, these blessings are meant to sustain us while we're in the midst of troubles. Look at the settings of Jeremiah and Jesus. You might say that they are wilderness settings in their own right. Jesus on a mountain and then a level place. And oh, by the way, a level place in those times meant a place of corpses, of evil, of all kinds of sinful things. And as Jesus came down off of a mountain, he came down to where? He came down to the corruptness of this world. He came down to a level place to where these people were right in the midst of trouble. And he blessed them. Jeremiah, Jeremiah's, you know, troubles are what's going on in that day and age of the people losing their independence. This takes trust and faith to say, Jesus, give me those blessings. Give me that strength. I'm relying on you to get me through whatever it is that I'm facing today. Being blessed truly comes from trusting the Lord especially in the midst of trouble. And how often do we try and fix things on our own? Make mountains out of molehills. It's easy to misplace our trust in God when we're in the weeds, so to speak. Misplace our trust when we're caught up in the unnecessary chaos of a pandemic or when our church is hidden in the woods or when we have a vacancy for a couple years or we're mourning the loss of loved ones or we're jobless, or any other number of things that would cause us to scheme and try to figure out things on our own. The Lord knows I'm guilty of that time and time again. I remember when I was growing up, my grandfather had a great love for, for horticulture. And uh, he always liked to tell me fables along those lines. And I had gotten myself, I'll spare you the details, but I got myself in the mess like I was after doing back in those days. And uh, I just made things worse than trying to fix it. One day, my grandfather sat, sat me down and told me this fable uh, about a woodsman who had gone into a forest looking for uh, a particular kind of wood to make an axe handle. So he went into the woods and he said to the trees, can you please produce or furnish for me a handle for my axe? And the trees got together and said, yeah, we'll, we'll give him the, the mahogany. It's the strongest of us all. So he gave the axeman the, the, the wood to make the handle, and he made the, the handle out of mahogany for his axe, and then he immediately went, went to laying waste to this great forest, chopping down tree after tree after tree. And in the midst of it all, the oak tree looked over at the cedar and said, Alas, it was the first step that did us in. Had we not given up our rights to the mahogany, God knows we might have stood for a thousand years. 
the moral. <laughs> Don't let your conduct produce a handle against yourself. And yet we do it time and time again. How true that we collectively bring about wrath upon ourselves and how true that we must suffer the consequences of our actions and how true we live continually in a messy world. But how true that God continues to bring forth blessings despite our fallibilities. Centuries after Jerusalem fell and God seemingly went silent, he spoke again, bringing forth another blessing, doing something new. Christ Jesus stepped in the path of wrath that was meant for us and took it upon himself. He would show us what the realm of God looks like and who his blessings are meant for. And he asked us then as his disciples, as his people, to step out in faith and trust and work his kingdom, tending to the poor, to the sick, to the lame, to the downtrodden, encouraging and lifting each other up. And the setting at times is a desert full of those dry and arid places, scary and uncomfortable things. But just as Jesus witnesses to us, we're called to go out there, step out on faith and do those things as his children, even amidst the troubles in life. Because to do so, then really is to experience the blessing of the Beatitudes. Living connected to the source of blessings, then we're sustained. And we're given the confidence that no matter what comes our way, we will thrive. We will flourish for the kingdom refreshed in the body and blood of Christ, quenched in the thirst, quenched in our thirst for the Scripture, we're not going to wilt. We're not going to be laid to waste. Rather, we live on. We live on as His people. We live on as a congregation, God willing, and the creek don't rise. We live on for 60 plus more years. But we live on with God as our source of the water. 